May God bless the reading of his word. Good morning. I have a couple of announcements to make before we begin our lesson this morning. Uh, the first is uh, to let you know that we had our rummage sale here this weekend for the American Heritage Girls. Uh, as many of you know, they've used our facilities for uh, several years to put on their annual rummage sale to raise funds. And uh, now that they are actually a, a charter troop of our congregation, uh, we were more than happy to have them back. Um, we ended up raising over $2,000 for the American Heritage Girls. Every last dime of that goes to supporting uh, the troop, helping them to uh, put on their camps, uh, make sure that kids that maybe can't afford to be a part of the troop uh, are able to be a part of the troop, scholarshipping people. Uh, and so it was a really wonderful opportunity for us to host it, but also uh, for money to be raised for those who were wanting to be involved. Uh, I, actually, there goes one of our American Heritage girls right now. Um, we want to thank everyone in the congregation who was involved in helping put on the rummage sale. Uh, there were a lot of little things that were done here and there to make sure that it was happening. Uh, we also want to thank everyone for being patient as we, you know, brought things in and out of the church building and, uh, you know, had uh, a little disruption here and there. But a little disruption for the good is uh, sometimes a good thing. And so. Um, over $2,000 raised, uh, and just absolutely wonderful because it means that a lot of the girls uh, won't have to pay too much to be involved in camps and retreats and things like that. I uh, also want to let you know that uh, we have a new sermon series starting in June. It's still a few weeks out, but I, I want to give you fair warning because you're going to hear that the sermon series is on the book of Deuteronomy, and you're going to think the last thing in the world I want to do is spend a summer looking at the book of Deuteronomy. Most people who read through scripture, they get to the book of Leviticus, for example, and they read all these laws and they say, man, I'm glad I'm through that. And then they find out that there's a second book of law in the Old Testament, and they're like, you know, this reading all the way through the Bible thing might not be for me. I want to tell you this. Deuteronomy uh, is, is probably one of the most exciting books in the Old Testament, and we sometimes give it short shrift because we hear the second law and we have a tendency not to want to read it. Um, there is one book in the Old Testament that Jesus directly or indirectly quotes more than any other. And most of us would think it's Psalms or Isaiah, but the truth is the book that Jesus references and quotes the most is the book of Deuteronomy. And so we're going we're gonna to study the book that Jesus seemed to think was central to our understanding of the Old Testament. We're going to spend a lot of time in Deuteronomy. And the important thing to know about the book of Deuteronomy is that it is not just a book of law. It is not just a bunch of teachings about what God wants from his people, but it is messages from Moses to the Israelite people about God's heart and about the heart of a shepherd towards his sheep. And so I'm telling you this ahead of time because I want you to be excited for the book of Deuteronomy uh, in a way that maybe you've never been excited about the book of Deuteronomy before. So that's our upcoming sermon series, uh, something to really look forward to. If you want some background information on this, uh, there are a number of uh, papers and books by a fellow named Kevin Youngblood. Uh, he's a, a professor at uh, Harding University. Uh, and really thoughtful speaker, uh, presenter on the book of Deuteronomy. I'd encourage you to read anything he's written on the book of Deuteronomy, and then you'll know everything I know about the book of Deuteronomy before I share it with you over the course of the summer. Um, 
also want to remind you that we have the Newberg Family Retreat coming up. Uh, June 1st through 2nd. There are registration forms in the foyer, and I want to encourage you to sign up to be there. Even if you can't be there for the whole weekend, come and be a part of the weekend. Come out for Saturday morning. Come out for Saturday afternoon and evening. Come out for Friday. I'd prefer everyone come out for the whole weekend, but if you can't do that, we recognize life sometimes gets in the way of us being able to take a whole weekend off come out for the part that you can. Uh, there is no cost associated with being out at family camp. Uh, it's important, though, for us to recognize that being together as a body helps us to grow together as a body. We become a family when we spend time together. As Kyle and I have put together the schedule for the weekend, uh, we, we have a lot of open time, opportunity for us just to be together. And so you may be wondering, what do I get out of coming out to a, a church retreat? Well, what you get is a depth of relationship that you don't get just by shaking hands on Sunday morning. So I want to encourage you to register for this. Again, there are sign-up sheets in the foyer. It takes you like two minutes to fill it out, stick it in the basket, and then we know that you're coming and we can plan ahead for you. Uh, the last thing that I want to share with you this morning uh, is that there is a, a wonderful opportunity for us to celebrate this morning. Uh, uh, Nathan and Marge Mitz are celebrating their 70th wedding anniversary. Uh, they've got some other... Yeah, applaud. 70 years. <laughs> there, there are some people that are lucky to live 70 years, let alone be married for 70 years. That's just a, a testament to uh, faithfulness there. And, uh, and their children are here with us this morning. Uh, if you ever get the opportunity to sit in front of the Mitz family during worship, you're going to hear some beautiful singing. I, the, that song that John was like, how many of you know this? And I think like maybe four people raised their hands. I heard all four parts coming from that general direction. And so I uh, sit in front of the Mitz family at some point. Uh, all of that said, there are a lot of reasons for us to celebrate. If you can be here this afternoon for Nathan and Marge's uh, uh, reception, we'd invite you to be here for that. Um, all right. All that said, uh, the good news is I have a short sermon because I'm already six minutes into my time. So, uh, <laughs> the kingdom of heaven is like, the kingdom of heaven is like, as I've gone through the parables of Jesus, the thing that I've noticed is that almost all of them easily map onto the kingdom of heaven is like this thing. And as I was reading through this particular parable, uh, it was a little harder for me to, to narrow it down. And actually, uh, earlier this week, John Kester sent me an email just letting me know that he was preparing the songs, uh, that he was getting things ready, and he said, the GoFundMe zone, just uh, big capital letters. When John is perplexed by something, it comes to you in capital letters. And so uh, I, knew, I knew maybe I had thrown a curveball at him. Uh, but he chose songs that are perfectly appropriate for what we're doing this morning. This parable is about someone who suffers financial loss, who, who is in many ways in a desperate and difficult position. Uh, you know, as, as I thought about the parable over and over and over again, something that came to my mind is that we live in a society that does a lot of uh, different forms of fundraising. Uh, if you're familiar with Kickstarter, raise your hand. Anybody in here know what Kickstarter is? All right, there's like six of you, okay. Uh, who here knows what Patreon is? 
Okay, if you, uh, if you watch a lot of YouTube videos, uh, Patreon is an opportunity for uh, creators on the internet to raise money for the things that they otherwise give away for free. And so you might watch a YouTube video that's an hour and a half long documentary on uh, the Peter Pan dark ride at Disneyland. And you're thinking, why in the world am I watching an hour and a half long documentary on Peter Pan Dark Ride from Disneyland. Well, because the person who's creating that documentary has put a lot of time and effort and energy into it, and they're so passionate about it that they would have done it for free, and in fact, they did it for free, and they put it up on the internet for everybody to watch, and millions of people come along, and these view counts rise to the top, and they end up creating a, a little base for themselves, and they say, you know, it was exhausting making this one video, but I love to make more I just can't afford to do it and have this other job. And so you get these, uh, these channels like Defunct Land, which is basically a whole channel that's built around looking at the past of Disneyland and theme parks. And they make all these videos about what it used to be like. And someone out there is so interested in these videos that they will pay the individual $5 a month or $10 a month or $20 a month, and they just send them money. They become a patron of this individual through the Patreon website. And so what ends up happening is you become you know, uh, self-sufficient as a creator. There's all sorts of fundraising opportunities online. Uh, my favorite is one called uh, Buy Me a Coffee. And if you have a Buy Me a Coffee account, you can create something and put the Buy Me a Coffee link at the bottom, and someone can pay you like $2.50, which is not enough for a coffee, by the way, in most places. But uh, you, you'd put it at the end of your little free content that you put out there, and if someone thought that it was particularly good, they essentially tip you for the stuff you gave them for free. Lots of people make money doing a side hustle of writing short articles, or putting together videos, or clever pieces of art that go on the internet, and someone buys them a coffee. Someone becomes their patron. Someone maybe makes it a point to back them on Kickstarter. But there's one website online that kind of takes the crowdfunding in a different direction. It's called GoFundMe, and if you have ever seen GoFundMe online, the way that it works is usually someone has found themselves in a position where they can't afford a significant medical procedure, or they can't afford uh, their, their rent for the next several months because their retirement account completely collapses. We're going to talk about one of those situations here in just a minute. Maybe it's a, a student at a school that says, you know, my bus driver hasn't had a vacation in six years best bus driver in the world. I want to make sure that they can go on vacation. And so they'll create a GoFundMe page online, and they'll say, help me send my bus driver on the vacation of her dreams. And they'll post it on their social media page. Maybe they've got 10 followers or 1,000 followers, and those people will look at it, and they'll go, oh, you know, I think this is a cause I'd be willing to give 5 or 10 or $15 to. And, and over time, an account gets built up. And the GoFundMe account then allows for someone to give that money to the person in need in some way. But you, as a backer of the GoFundMe, don't get anything. It's just you supporting someone who has experienced a loss or is in need in some way, shape, or form. 
usually, there's actually, the sad thing about it is that GoFundMe has become kind of un, an exploitable website online. There are people that use GoFundMe in ways that are a little shady uh, and manipulative. There are actually websites out there that talk about how to effectively write a sob story so that you might be able to raise more money on GoFundMe than other people would and get more attention for yourself. But I want to tell you the story of a man who uh, did have money raised for him on GoFundMe. Um, this is an 80-year-old janitor from Texas. A student was, uh, was in his high school, and he held his phone up and kind of recorded a TikTok video of this man and overlaid the text. It says, uh, this is our 80-year-old janitor who had his rent raised and had to come back to work. Let's help Mr. James out. And so you can see, this is, this is an older man. 80-year-old uh, men doing janitorial work is not particularly what you want to see. You don't, you don't necessarily want them to have to do this sort of thing. Now, if they love to do this sort of thing, let them do it. But if they have to, you probably feel some empathy for them. They ended up raising $230,000 for this man. His retirement account had been completely destroyed in the financial crisis back in uh, 2007, 2008, 2009. Uh, he lost essentially everything that he had put in the bank over those years. Uh, and as a result, he was living on a very small portion of what he had expected to live on for his retirement. And eventually had to come back to work. Now, he managed his money very well after he retired in his 60s. But you know, that was about... 15 years ago now that this financial collapse happened, about the time that he was supposed to retire, and in the midst of that, he lost virtually everything. And for much of the, the past 15 years, he was able to live on the little bit that he had, but when the rent raised, he couldn't afford it. So he had to come back to work. And fortunately, these kids saw the opportunity, they took advantage of the opportunity, and they, they made sure that he had the money that he needed to be able to leave work again in his 80s. In some ways, I feel like what we're reading when we read the parable of the lost coin is very similar. I want you to listen to these words for just a moment. Or what woman, having ten silver coins, if she loses one coin, does not light a lamp and sweep the house and seek diligently until she finds it. And when she has found it, she calls together her friends and neighbors, saying, Rejoice with me, for I have found the coin that I had lost. In our culture, it's a little difficult to really wrap our minds around what it would have meant to lose one of these ten coins, because most of us don't even carry coins around in our pockets anymore. The money that we consider valuable is all made of paper, and in order to have enough of it to really consider it a large amount, you'd actually have to have a pretty thick stack, or several large denomination bills in a very thin stack. We have trouble wrapping our mind around what it would mean to lose one of these 10 coins. And so I want to tell you a little bit about these 10 coins. These coins are called drachma. They are silver coins that roughly represent a day's wages. The entire value of a man's single day of work in the first century. She had 10 of them. This was her net worth. It was everything she had. Notice that there is not an implication that she has any more. If she has 10 silver coins, 10 drachma, and loses one, 
I want you to imagine if 10% of everything that you had saved over the years disappeared in a moment. Where would that put you? Matt, I want to be clear. For some people, those of you that are in your retirement age who uh, maybe retired about 15 years ago, you're like, I know exactly what that feels like to have lost a substantial portion of my net savings. I know what it feels like to wake up one morning and discover it's all gone. For some of us who uh, graduated from college or something around that same time, we're like, what is net savings? Um, you know, we're asking ourselves, what would it be like to lose 10% of everything? Well, I'd have to have something to lose 10% of. Uh, that's a joke, by the way. This woman loses 10% of every valuable she has, essentially. And notice the other characters that are involved in this situation, the other individuals that are represented here. There are no children. There's no husband. It's her and her friends and neighbors. There's an implication that this woman is on her own, that whatever she has, she's not supporting children and a family there's kind of an implication that this woman is a widow. This 10 coin situation, that's everything for her. When she loses it, I think she ends up in the GoFundMe zone. It's possible for her to maybe eke out enough to be able to feed herself from day to day, but if she has a particularly bad week where she gets sick and is unable to work, how is she going to feed herself? 10 days wages sounds like a lot of money if you're young and you don't know how difficult it is to live only having 10 days ahead. But for this woman, her security has just been decreased significantly. She's been lessened. Last week we talked about the 100 sheep, the 99 and the one lost. And we can say, you know, affirmatively, losing one sheep in that situation is a big deal to the shepherd. But if you think about it, he's still got 99 other sheep. And there would be a part of us that would say, it's okay if you lose one sheep. That's probably going to happen at some point. A wolf is going to come in, or the sheep is going to get sick, or it's going to fall into a pit. And yes, it's an unfortunate situation, but it's not particularly tragic to lose that one sheep. But Jesus intensifies the story in this second parable, in the series of parables, by saying, imagine for just one second that you could put yourself in the shoes of someone who has lost 10% of everything they have. What woman, having ten coins, who loses one, is not going to tear her house apart to try to find it? This is the kingdom of heaven. See, the kingdom of heaven recognizes its losses. It recognizes the things that are not present, the things that are valuable to it, that are no longer within its possession. And the, the keeper of the house that is the kingdom of heaven is willing to tear it all down to try and find that one lost coin. And when he does, 
he rejoices. And he invites others to rejoice with him. Sometimes I think that we, we get into this mindset, we like the story of the lost sheep because, wow, 99 and he leaves to find the one. But Jesus' intensification here is to remind us that to God, just one missing is too much. We could write off the one lost sheep, but can we write off the 10% of someone's complete worth just vanishing overnight. Now next week, Kyle's going to be looking at the parable that follows this, the parable of the prodigal son, we often call it. I, I call it the parable of the two lost sons. And that's a further intensification of this story. And I think what Jesus is trying to do here is to move us from like, okay, look, I can write off one of 99 missing. Maybe... If I'm not particularly empathetic or I've never known loss or suffering or, or want in my life, if I've never been in a position where I'm not entirely sure where my next meal is coming from, I can write off one out of ten coins. But Jesus is moving us slowly yet surely toward the most devastating conclusion. What would it be like to lose the two that you value so deeply? What's it like to really suffer personal loss? Do we understand that God's seeking us is motivated by his feeling of loss? This is difficult for us to wrap our minds around sometimes. We think of God being the, the omnipotent, omnipresent, omnipotent deity. Untouchable, unmovable. God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. That is a true statement. But we also struggle sometimes to recognize that God can experience loss that causes him hurt. That causes him sorrow that when reversed is something that he exults over. I want us to recognize this morning that, that it is possible for us to miss just how deeply God grieves the loss of people. How deeply affected God is when there are people who are not a part of the kingdom of heaven. It's no coincidence that this house is torn apart in order to find the coin. I want you to think about the life of Jesus and what it means for Jesus to have left heaven, to have given up the throne of heaven, so that he might walk among humanity, experience personal struggle, suffering, experience the ultimate suffering on the cross, to have had relationships in which he was betrayed, to have moments of fear, to have moments of, of sorrow and grief. And the reason he chooses those things, and I want to be completely clear on this, the reason that he chooses those things, if you don't believe Jesus chose all of that, sit in on Terry's class on Sunday mornings, he chooses those things because he is willing to tear it all apart to find the one that is lost. The mission of the cross 
the death of Christ, everything that he goes through in this world is to find the one who is lost. To him, it is a deep and terrible loss to have suffered. If you are not counted among these ten coins, I want you to understand that this morning. I want you to ask yourself, how would I feel if 10% of everything I had was gone tomorrow? And recognize that to God, because he's getting ready to intensify this over the course of the remainder of this chapter, to God, the loss is even greater. Losing you, losing your neighbor, losing your child, your coworker. To God, it is a grievous loss. But he's done something about it. God has done what he can to recover the lost. He has torn the house apart and swept out the corners in order to reclaim the lost. And he invites us to rejoice in those who are found. But I think it's also important for us to recognize that the expectation that Jesus has for his listeners, these Pharisees that he's answering in response to, his expectation for them is that they will participate eventually in the reclamation of the lost. Jesus doesn't tell these parables so that then we can do an academic analysis of them 2,000 years later. He does it to move the hearts of the people who are listening to him, who are saying, look, Jesus, why in the world are you eating with sinners and tax collectors? Don't you know the bad reputation that you're going to get from all of this? And Jesus says, let me, let me tell you why I'm eating with these sinners and tax collectors. My heart breaks that they are lost. I'm willing to tear it all apart in order to find them. Can you empathize with me in that? Why aren't you sitting at table with the sinners and tax collectors? If God desires for them to come home, why aren't you inviting them to sit around your tables so that they might know the goodness of the kingdom of heaven? so that we might all rejoice when they've returned. I want to ask us the same question this morning. Do we grieve the lost the way that the shepherd grieves the lost sheep? The way that the woman grieves over losing one of her ten coins? The way that God grieves over those who do not know the kingdom of heaven? And can we put ourselves in the shoes of those Pharisees and hear these words not just as a reflection from 2,000 years ago, but Jesus' encouragement to us to dine with the sinners and tax collectors so that they might be found. That's my challenge to each of us this morning. Do we grieve the lost the way that Jesus does? And if so, what are we doing about it? Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, I thank you that we were lost, but now we're found. I thank you that you tore it all apart to find us. That you left your home 
to go into the wilderness to find the one sheep that was not already in the open country and brought it into your home. Father, I pray this morning that we, we rejoice in the knowledge of our salvation, but Father, that we also mourn and grieve the recognition that there is a, a disturbing loss in this world. And Father, you, not to put too, too goofy an analogy on it, but you have set up a GoFundMe that we get to participate in. That we can help people who have lost so much, lost their very souls, to reclaim them. To bring them back to you, Father. You have recognized the need and you've asked us to participate in the reclamation. Father, you have made us ministers of reconciliation. Help us to take that seriously. It's all this that we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. That language, ministers of reconciliation, we have the ministry of reconciliation that was the ministry of Jesus. And we get to participate in that. And, and I want to let you know that God wants to reconcile you to himself. He wants to bring you home. He wants to make the accounts square and be able to say, you belong here. This is the column that I have placed you in, and I want to bring you home. If you're sitting here this morning and you feel like God has no interest in you, I want to let you know that the story of the lost things found those are stories about you and about God's love for you. And if you are struggling to feel loved by God, read these stories over and over and over again and ask yourself if this is the kind of language that you, God uses to describe you, how can you possibly think that God doesn't love you? I'm telling you this morning that if you are lost, God wants to find you. If you are lost and you are hurting and you feel as though you have no value, God has expressed the ways in which he values you. And you can be reconciled to him. We have water here this morning uh, for baptism. Uh, we would be happy to baptize you. We believe that God brings us back into relationship with him through the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. That happens in the waters of baptism through our confession and belief in him. And I want to tell you this morning that we'd be happy to baptize you if that's something you want this morning. If you have other needs of the church, we want to walk alongside you in those needs. We want to care for you and love you well. We want to make sure that you don't walk out of this room this morning feeling as though you are the lost coin and you've been forgotten under the bed. But instead, we have done our work as participants in the ministry that God has given us in helping you be reclaimed and found. This morning, I'm going to be at the back of the auditorium. I would be happy to visit with you and spend a little bit of time uh, in, in reflection and prayer. Our, min or our elders are here this morning, and they'd be happy to visit with you. And some of the ladies in the congregation would be happy to visit with you if that's what you'd prefer. But at this time, we're going to continue in our worship together. I'm going to invite John up and ask you to stand as we sing. <laughs>